Great. So I'm reading today from Deuteronomy chapter 10, headed tablets like the first ones. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden chest. I will write on the tablets the word, words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Then you are to put them in the chest. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and chiseled out two ta stone tablets like the first ones. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hands. The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before the Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made, as the Lord commanded me, and they are there now. The Israelites traveled from the wells of the Jaconites to Moserah, there Aaron died and was buried, and Eleazar, his son, succeeded him as priest. From there they traveled to Godar and on to Jotbathar, a land with streams of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister and pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance amongst their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. Now I had stayed on the mountain 40 days and nights, as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you, Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way, so that they may enter and possess the lands that I swore to their fathers to give them. And then the second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Headed, Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us 
in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Father, thank you for Clive, and as he comes and speaks to us now, would you bless him, and would his words be your words. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Giles, for uh, giving me chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Deuteronomy to cover in 25 minutes. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And uh, I have to say that what was uh, joyful about that, and it's always joyful to be given three chapters of Deuteronomy to open up, is that Giles had done so much work for all of us preachers, and he wrote this letter, it's captured my imagination, when he'd stressed that the key verse was Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1, and we'll come back to that, he, he wrote this. He wrote about someone called John White who had talked prophetically about the church, this church needing to avoid turning back into the desert and the wilderness. And Giles said, this year I feel it's important to flesh out what it means to be the family of God stepping into God's mission for our lives. That's exciting, isn't it? As if you're on the verge of something, stepping... Who is John White, by the way? Just a good guy, a retired vicar, okay? So John spoke prophetically about that. I mean, that can be true for each one of us in our Christian walk, that we've got to be careful that we don't step into the desert. Some of you may remember a year ago, Oh, but it was uh, the church was the other way around, and we, in front of the cross there, Peter and I and others, laid hands on Giles, Giles and ordained him, ordained ministry. We set him apart and we inducted him as, uh, as the minister of this ch- church, and it was a very, very special time. On that occasion, I let people know that I was a scientific atheist until the age of 32, and evidently that was quite a helpful thing to say because there were some people present who weren't believers, they were there because they were warmly welcomed, but some of them were people of scientific background who, like me to the age of 32, didn't have a faith. Well, I am now 65, and there's been many times when it's been tempting to turn back, but by God's grace, I never had. These people are standing on the verge of entering into a promise which they'd completely fluffed up the last time they were there. Moses has written um, most of the Pentateuch, the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and this final fifth book of what's also called the Torah, um, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means repetition of the law. And Moses is preaching, and that's been recorded for us, perhaps by Joshua, because Moses isn't going to go into the Promised Land. But he's trying to encourage the people and he's trying to remind them of all the important things, including the Ten Commandments. And I I like this young people's version of God's top ten. You can find it in chapter five of Deuteronomy and Exodus 20, but this is the way that a children's worker has put it. Put God first. Worship him only. 
No bad words. Work sick, rest one. Obey your parents. Harm no one. Don't cheat. If it's not yours, don't take it. And tell the truth. And here's one for all of us. Don't be jealous of other people's stuff. I quite like that. And if you've got a Hebrew scholar, then you can translate what it actually says on the right there. Okay? I couldn't. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But the point is, you cannot earn it by works. That's the title that Giles gave me. You can't earn it by works. When we do go and look at this key verse that is helping you through this whole series in Deuteronomy, it's headed here, and that wasn't in the Hebrew either, do not forget the Lord, but in chapter 8, before the chapters I'm looking at, it says this, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. Be careful to follow every command so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. I'll read on a little bit. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither uh, you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, I'm sure that you're thinking of Jesus quoting that in the desert. He says it to Satan who said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus is incredibly hungry after a time of fasting. And Jesus quotes scripture to Satan and says this verse here, that man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So you can't earn anything from God by works. You can't earn an eternal life. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn a relationship with the creator of the universe by good works, however holy you think you can live. None of us can. But what Moses is reminding these people of is that there is a law that needs to be repeated. Deuteronomy means repetition of the law. This is like a, a covenant renewal document that Moses is giving them. But there's an incredible warmth in his preaching throughout the whole of Deuteronomy. There's an incredible love. And he keeps reminding the people of God of this promise, the promise of entering the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. You see, they'd been in a desert for 40 years. I'm a Baptist. Peter's an Anglican, we both like to be called Christians, that's okay. But Baptists have this way of doing things where they have members' meetings, okay? And in members' meetings, the idea is that you discern the will of God through the mind of Christ by basic, basically voting according to what you think the will of God is. Well, the worst meeting, church members' meeting, that ever took place was when the 12 spies came back from the promised land. Because 10 of them said, there's giants, we can't do this. Even though God has said, I'm leading you in there. He'd given them the promise, I'm going to do it. There was two, Joshua and Caleb, that said, we can do this. So they made the decision, they had a good old Baptist members meeting, they decided not to go into the promised land, and they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. Where God still loved them and still provided them for them, but they didn't actually hear the voice of God confirming what he'd already said through Joshua and Caleb, which is we should go into the land God is giving us it. So if this church is going to step into its promised land, whatever that looks like, 
Yes, you certainly need to hear the word of God, whether it comes through a retired vicar or through members' meetings or through the way the church council operates or however else you do that. I want to break what, what I want to say today down into three sections, these three chapters. We'll try and do a little bit of justice. The first is about God's reminder, God's reminder of Israel's past failures. The second section, we're going to look at the chapter 10 mostly, is about God's revelation of his persistent love for his people. So Moses reminds the people of God of their past failures, but he also reminds them and brings the revelation that this God never, ever gives up. He's a God who keeps on loving. So first of all, let's look at God's reminder of Israel's past failures. And the first thing that they need reminding about is a time of rebellion. Let's just look at uh, chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles handy, that would be good. Or phones or your iPads or whatever way you read God's word. Verse 6 before we come to verse 7 says this, understand then that it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess for you are a stiff-necked people. They wouldn't turn to face God. Their necks were stiff. They wouldn't turn. He goes on to say, Moses, to the people, remember, here it is, remember. He reminds them. This is God's reminder to them. Remember this and never forget it, how you provoked the Lord your God to anger in the desert from the day you left Egypt until you arrived here. You have been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, Mount Horeb this is, we hear about this in Exodus. At Horeb you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. And when I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread, drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. But, but there's a major problem. The major problem is that when Moses comes down the mountain, there's a dreadful orgy going on. Verse 16, when I looked and saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God, you had made yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two stone tablets, I threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. They had sinned in such a dreadful and despicable way that they'd returned to idolatry. They'd been reminded of the rebellion. They returned to idolatry. And Moses does something that any loving leader of God's people will do. He prostrates himself and he prays for them. We read about that in verses uh, 18 to 21. This is a, a prostrated petition by Moses. He's seen their rebellion. They've returned to idolatry. He must be so discouraged and upset. But it says in verse 19, once again I fell prostrate. Let me just read for you from verses 18 to 21. And this is the kind of heart that God wants you and I to have for those people we pray for who don't yet know the Lord. Let's read from uh, verse 18. Then once again I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of all the sin you'd committed doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so provoking him to anger. I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again the Lord listened to me. 
And the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf you'd made, I burned it in the fire. I crushed it to, and ground it to powder. And then I threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. Moses intercedes. He stands in the gap. He prays for his people. I can remember years and years, not long after being a Christian, uh, I... I was sensing a call into Christian ministry, and I asked the Lord to share his love for his people with me. Has anyone ever asked that? Have you ever asked the Lord to share? I was crying for about a week. I was a mess. And sometimes still, when I get touched by the Holy Spirit for one of God's people, or for someone indeed who's not yet one of God's people, I am moved deeply inwardly by the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us who own the name of Christ for the plight of that person. And Moses absolutely prostrates himself and cries out for this people because just like God, God's angry, but God, as we'll see, has never stopped loving them. And the love of uh, God for his people is demonstrated in that this godly leader, Moses, prostrates himself even though they've been rebellious and he cries out for them. Do you know, it, it wasn't right for me to offer a testimony when Peter was giving that opportunity. And thank you for those stirring testimonies, including the one of challenge and spiritual battle, because we're strengthened when we share testimonies like that. But the one that I would have shared would be uh, one of uh, quite recent days when my, uh, my son-in-law and daughter and our two little grandchildren, the only grandchildren we've got in the UK, the, the others are halfway around the world in Australia, um, they came up to stay with us, and by the time he'd driven from the south coast up to Sheffield, he was doubled over in pain, could hardly breathe, and was holding his right side. He'd been hospitalized and on oxygen weeks before with uh, pneumonia. He's had problems in his right lung. So the best place to be on a Friday night is not accident and emergency at the Northern General Hospital, I can tell you. We went in at nine. Every single person we met was magnificent. Every doctor, every nurse, everyone we saw. But boy, we up against it. And we got there at nine o'clock and we didn't leave until half past three in the morning. But in the car park, I dropped him off. He, he couldn't walk to accident and emergency. I dropped him right outside, then I went to park. I met a young man who was also trying to find a, 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 a meter that would give us a ticket. And we got to one, we started chatting. He said, oh, you have this one. I'm, I'm just picking my mum up. I, I won't bother with a ticket. It wasn't taking our money. I said, no, are you sure? Well, why don't you take it? He said, no, I'm just picking my mum up. You might be here a long time. So he gave me the ticket. We walked together back from the car park to accident emergency and got chatting. This young man was picking his mother up had been given a terminal diagnosis of cancer. He couldn't do any more, but she was being picked up so he could take her home. And I thought, I, I, I've just, I've got to do this. So I said, look, I'm a, I'm a Christian minister. I don't want to freak you out or anything. I've only just met you, but I'd love to pray with you if that's okay and pray for you and your mum. And he just straight away said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer, but that, would you do that? That would be great. So right there, outside Acts and Emergency, I laid hands on him, prayed for him, prayed for his mother. He's called Peter. She's called Julie. Please send up a prayer. I may never see him again, but I may see him when I get there. The love of God compelled me. I laid hands on my son-in-law who wouldn't name and own the name of Jesus Christ. And we were released at 3.30 and he was as right as rain the next day by God's grace. And now he's got to work out what that was all about, sitting there waiting, 
laying hands on him and praying for him. Moses prays, he prostrates himself and cries out. And there's a reminder here, not only of Israel's past failures, but there's a reminder of the incredible promise of God. That promise that we read in chapter 8 and verse 1 of the promised land. Here's where I deal with chapter 11, Giles. The whole of chapter 11 is about what you are promised if you are obedient to God. Amen. That's the end of chapter 11. Okay? <laughs> and read it later when you get home. But there's a reminder of a promise. And the principle is this. If we obey, then God will fulfill his promises. Some promises are conditional upon our obedience. So you can't earn anything by works, but you've still got to be careful to follow every command the Lord is giving because then there is the promise. Let's just remind ourselves of that verse that is holding the, the whole of this series together. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land. Can I just ask you, are, are there any unfulfilled promises over your lives? Are there any unfulfilled promises? Well, I don't know, but the Lord knows, and you may know. Are, are you walking in God's revelation of the obedience that he requires? Are there any unfulfilled promises? You see, I've never worshipped a golden calf, but I've had a few idols in my time. I was an atheist till the age of uh, 32, but I had two gods with hindsight. One was called Korea. Anyone ever had that god? And another one was called rugby. Anyone ever had that God? So don't worry, I won't go on forever because England are playing Ireland this afternoon. And I, you know, but, but I literally, my life was driven by my lust for my career and success and achievement. And my, it's a strong word, but my lust for the game of rugby. I had to be at the best place I could be in playing my sport. And it's no longer in that place of idolatry. I did manage a game under floodlights on my 60th birthday with my son who was 30, which, uh, not necessarily my last game, it was just the final game that I played, but there you are. The fact is, God reminds these people of the provision that he offers, but he reminds them of their rebellion, of their, their past failures. So when we move to the second section, and the last one is just a response. It's about God's revelation of his persistent love. And we see this in those first 10 verses that were read so well for us. And we see it also in chapter 9, but we will see it clearly in Ephesians when we briefly look at that. And the, if the bad news is you can't earn it by works, then the good news is also that you can't earn it by works, but you can receive it by faith. The only way we can receive it. So if any of is feeling a little bit unloved by God this morning. Can I encourage you to do something? It doesn't have to be yellow, but if you've got any of those sticky post-it notes, go home and just write, God loves me, on every surface that you're likely to look in. You know, the bathroom mirror, the door, the fridge, everything else. Just go and put some sticky notelets on there. Did you ever see the movie Liar Liar? With, uh, what's his name? Jim Carey. Where, where he, he was trying to get a handle on being God and, and answering prayer decided to do it with post-it notes. Well, go and make your home like that if you know the movie. Cover it in post-it notes. Just a note to self to remind you that God loves you always. His love is persistent. It's past. It's present. It's future. It's permanent. And God is the God of the second chance. 
So in chapter 10, we read this, first two verses. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and, uh, uh, and come up to me on the mountain. Also make a wooden chest. The footnote tells us that that could be ark. I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke, then you're to put them into the chest. So the picture that we had on the previous screen was of a, a priest ministering in front of the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels extending their wings over there. And that would be in the holiest of holies, in the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness, or in the temple in Jerusalem, which the, the tent was just a foreshadowing of the temple in Jerusalem. And only the high priest on one day a year could go into that holy of holies. And he would have a chain tied to his feet so that if he was struck down, he would be pulled out by chain because no one was going in to get him. Because the very presence of a holy God resided there with the Ark of the Covenant and so there's this reminder that's constantly, it was constantly amongst the people of God. The Jews want to rebuild the temple. They wail at the wailing wall. They remember these things. And different people have different views about that, whether the temple will ever be rebuilt. But Jesus had this view. Destroy this temple, speaking about himself, and it'll be rebuilt in three days. The resurrection. Here we have the God of the second chance, giving them a second chance. He makes the tablets afresh. And he's the God of grace and mercy, because we read a little bit further down in Deuteronomy chapter 10 from verses 8 to 9, we read this, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. That's why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. They would live on the tithes of the people of God. They didn't have the land apportioned to them. But God has provided the priesthood as a channel of his grace and mercy, so that when animals were sacrificed and blood was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement, just one day in the whole year, that was a time when all the sins of God's people were placed on the lamb and the lamb was sacrificed and its blood was sprinkled there and God in his grace and mercy forgives them. But there's a priest who was coming, who was the great chief priest, the great high priest, the priest to end the priesthood in that sense. Everyone who is here, not just... Baptists don't use, they use the term pastor, they don't use the word priest, but our brothers and sisters in the Church of England, that's one term that they would use, be quite comfortable with it. But on the 39 articles of the Church of England marked by the buttons on a, on a black cassock, one of those articles reminds us all of the priesthood of all believers. That we all have this role to intercede for others, to pray for others. And if this great church is going to step into its family on a mission, mission, then as you increase your prayer and aware of the power and the presence of God, you'll find yourself praying for people who will be changed by the power of God's Spirit. I just want to go back to a couple of those verses to show you about God's grace and mercy in Ephesians chapter 2 and about the God whose love is persistent 
It's the, the love that provides a saviour. So Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 5 acknowledges that we're all dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world. But we're also reminded us that uh, though we lived according to gratifying the sinful nature, in verse 4 we're told, but because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were rebellious, even when sin was like a black cloud being a barrier between us and God, God's great love for us causes him to come in his son, Jesus Christ, and to raise us up with Christ and seat us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. It's incredible. This God whose love is absolutely persistent through the Apostle Paul here, writing to Christians in Ephesus, place Turkey. He writes this, that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, even that faith is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Just have a glance at the people either side of you for a moment, will you? Have a good look at them. I know it's a bit embarrassing. Aren't they beautiful? Whatever you do, do not shake your head no at this moment in time. Aren't they beautiful? Why are they beautiful? Because they're masterpieces. Because they're created, if they're believers, they're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which have been prepared in advance. All you have to do is find out what those good works are and walk in them. For some, that will be a call to full-time ordained ministry. For some, it will be evangelism. For some, it will be being in China as a nurse. But we've all got these works prepared in advance. We're all masterpieces created by God. So I need, to, I need to cut towards a close and try and honour my 25 minutes. So God's reminder through Moses was we get it wrong. And that's not just those Israelites, you and I. Anyone here never get it wrong? Because if there's anyone here that, that, that has never sinned, uh, I better sit down and you better preach to us. Okay? So we all get it wrong. But this God... His revelation through Moses to his people and through Paul to those Christians in Ephesus and to us through the word in Holy Scripture today is that God's love is persistent and it never, ever, ever gives up. So what is our response to be? And I want to say this as simply as possible. I hope and pray that my response and your response will be passionate, joyful obedience. That sounds a heavy thing, doesn't it? But I don't mean, just mean gritted teeth or if you say so, Lord, I'll do my best. No, it should be passionate, joyful obedience. Because obedience to God is an expression of our love for God. So what does God ask of us? We're told, back in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways 
to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That's drawing on the, the great commandment, isn't it? And to observe the Lord's commands and creeds that I'm giving you today. And listen to these four words, for your own good. Because when we're obedient, the promise comes. It's fulfilled. When King Centre is with Network Church Sheffield, obedient to the vision God has given you as you give everything to that. Thank you so much for that beautiful song. Where are you? About so Thank you so much. I was deeply, deeply moved. And the only kind of response I could give with fear and trembling is the one Peter advised us to give. Yes, Lord. If we keep saying yes and surrendering to God, all that we are, all that we have, will do most amazing, remarkable things in us and through us. I'll cut to the chase because when what God asks of us through Jesus Christ is that we honour the great commandment and the great commission. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And if I had time, I'd talk about loving the alien chance to love the alien uh, and not the little character in that sci-fi movie that you are thinking of right now but people who are not born necessarily and raised in this nation but actually the most important thing we can do is love him with everything we've got and then carry out this great commission of going into all the world uh, I'm going to finish with a story to hopefully reveal um, something of God's heart and, and a few more verses from Deuteronomy 10 um, here's my story. This, this is a little bookmark. What, what does it say on it there, brother? Daddy. Daddy. This, is one of, this, this is probably my most treasured possession. Okay? This has been to 16 countries on six continents with me. And if I ever lost this, I'd be devastated. I'll tell you why. Because when my little girl was about the age of your youngest daughter, Giles... We went out. It wasn't Christmas. It wasn't my birthday. We went out to her school fair and she spent all her pocket money buying me this gift. Not because it was Christmas or birthday. She got daddy burnt onto it and a little teddy bear there and it goes with me everywhere in my Bible to remind me that my little daughter loves me. Okay, I've got three children. They all love me and I love them. Don't love her any more than any of the others. But this is a treasured possession. The only thing you and I can give to our Heavenly Father is ourself. The only thing that you and I can give to our Heavenly Father is ourself. If there's even one person here today that has never taken the step of giving your whole life to God through Jesus, please take the step today. And here are those final few verses from Deuteronomy 10. This is how God reveals his heart for us through Moses. Verses 14 to 18 of chapter 10. The Lord your God owns the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord has set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you their descendants above all the nations 
as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him good food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. To the age of 32, I was an alien to God, the God who created me. At the age of 32, through a revelation of Jesus Christ, I was dramatically turned around and came to understand there was a God who made me and loved me, a God against whom I'd sinned, but a God who'd given everything to bring forgiveness. And this little bookmark from my daughter reminds me that the most important thing I could do is do what she did, is give love to Daddy. I wonder if you'd stand with me. And if you're comfortable, and don't do it if you're not comfortable, perhaps you'd like to turn your hands to heaven. And perhaps we can not only turn our hands to heaven if we're comfortable doing that, but open our hearts to God. Father, I'm aware that we've covered an awful lot of ground in a very short time. But I ask now, Father, that the things that you want to stick with my brothers and sisters, with Every man, woman, and young person here are the things that you'll now, by your Spirit, remind them of and impart. If there's anyone, Father, that is struggling to forgive themselves, then remind them of your persistent love, not of their sin, because you can cast those as far as the east is from the west. If there's anyone here who is trapped in a habit that is idolatrous, that they are struggling to break, then help them to respond even today for prayer. Help them to set a time to share that with someone and become accountable. And Lord, if there's someone here that is struggling so much to feel loved and accepted by anyone, let alone you, that the last thing they could think of doing is putting a sticky notelet that says, God loves me, on their fridge. Would you overwhelm them with your love at this moment, Lord? Would you fill them afresh with a sense of how precious they are? That you don't make junk, you only make masterpieces. And we're not, we're not going to add anything to the way you love us by the good works you've prepared in advance. And for others, Lord, help us in joyful obedience to do the things you call us to do. Move amongst us by your Spirit as we have a chance to respond perhaps in a final song and in prayer. We ask these things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do grab a seat. We are actually going to close it there. But I want to give you just a minute with the Holy Spirit.